what are we to be about? What has God called us as the church to do? And we use the big fancy word evangelism to evangelize. Um, but that is our divine purpose. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. I know I have it for you, but I printed out there, but I want you to read it, see it in your Bible. Most of you are probably very familiar with this. The Great Commission, although I have called it the Great Assumption, um, because more than commanding us to go, Jesus is assuming that we're going to go, um, because he even says, as you are going. That's the best translation of that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. And actually probably the best translation is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, these are Jesus' last words to us. Uh, the last command to us. You can kind of put it in with Acts 1.8. They're all kind of he's saying the same thing. You're going to be my witnesses. I need you to go as you're going. What, he, what we have in these three verses is we have one command and three actions, three ways in which three, three actions that we are to take to fulfill that command. Now, my question to you is what is the one command? Everyone says go. Nope, remember that's the assumption. As you are going, make disciples. That's the command. We are commanded to make disciples. Uh, Jesus left us with this one command. Of all the things he could have said, of all the things he could have left the 11 or the 12 uh, with, there are only 11 at this point, but what he could have left all of those disciples because I'm sure the 11 went back and reported to the other 110 or so, because I think there were about 120 in the upper room uh, at the time uh, of Acts. And of all the things he could have said, he said, make disciples. Now, a disciple is a learner, uh, but more than a lifetime student who only gains knowledge. How many of you, you know, lifetime students? Uh, they've been in college forever. They have a bazillion degrees and and, you know, they're just, they're always going to school. They're always learning. But a lot of that is just they're learning. They're not doing anything with it. They're not applying it. And so making disciples, a disciple is a learner, but it is one who accompanies thought with action. So that's what a disciple is. Not just a learner, not just taking it in, but taking it in in order to go do something. Okay? He's a follower would be another good word for it. Uh, learning and doing. Now, this command to make disciples, I understand it as a command to multiply. Okay, we are to multiply ourselves. We are to take the, the spiritual life that is within us and begin to plant it in someone else. Now, I understand that's not our work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But our job is to multiply. Our job is to, to, to have other followers, to help other followers along. Um, we're to go and reproduce my spiritual life in the life of someone else, to help them grow, to help them learn, to help them follow, so that they know what to do and how to do it. Paul said, follow me 
as what? As I follow Christ. That should be every one of ours mantra. That, that's what we should be saying to anyone that we meet. Follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, now, some of us may be farther along the road, some of us, but for any unbeliever we come in contact with, if you're a believer, you're farther down the road than they are. Uh, you're farther into that spiritual journey. So make disciples. That's our one command. That's the one thing that we are to be about. That Jesus wanted the 11 disciples to understand, make disciples as you're going, okay? That's action number one. Action number one is going. As you are going, this is lifestyle. As you're going to the store, as you are going to school, as you are going to work, as you are going to church, as you are going through your neighborhood, as you are going on vacation, as you are going, put anything in there. Make disciples. While you're doing that thing, whatever it is you're going and doing, make disciples. Keep that as the number one priority as you are going. Okay? So evangelism is not a program of the church. Okay? We, we, we have an evangelism committee. We don't. But I, I know churches that, that they have a, an evangelism committee. Well, that pretty much, if I'm not on the evangelism committee, then I don't have to be about evangelism, do I? Because I'm not on the deacon committee, so I don't deke. So if I'm not on the evangelism committee, I don't have to evangelize. Uh, that's not true. Everyone is commanded to make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. Now, Community Alliance Church, we have a, a vision statement that you're going to be hearing more and more about. We have poured over it, redefined it, tore it up, threw it away, poured it back out again, worked on it some more, um, just probably over the last year or two. Uh, we have been wrestling with how can we succinctly put into words what it is we feel we are about or a vision of what it is we want to be. What do we want to be known as? And here it is. Do I have it for you down there? We want to be a people transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, and intentional in relationships and service. That, that is everything that we do in the church from here on out has to fit into that somewhere. Transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, intentional in relationships and service. Faith, wisdom, relationships, service. Those are the four key words. The children's wing, you'll see it in, uh, if you go to Up Street, you'll see it painted on every wall. Faith, wisdom, friendship. Friendship a little easier for kids to understand than relationship. So they are faith, wisdom, relationship. It's on every wall in every room. Uh, and so we are about faith, wisdom, and, and relationship. So when you look at going, what portion of this vision statement is going? As you are going. You got one of, one of three choices. Intentional relationships. As you're going, the people that you're coming in contact with in your daily life, as you are going, make disciples. That's the intentional relationships. What's the second action that we are to be about? Baptizing. 
Okay? As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, one of baptism's main functions that we looked at a few weeks ago is that it identifies a disciple or identifies a believer with the body and the cause of Christ. So when someone steps in and steps up and says, I want to be baptized, which I see there's four or five names on the list. We have a baptismal service that we're planning uh, for the near future. And uh, what they are saying is, I want to publicly be identified with Christ. And so baptism, that's what it does. It it roots them. It it brings them in uh, and, and publicly Uh, declares that they have changed their allegiance, if you will, from self to Christ. Uh, From I I used to live life my way, now I'm wanting to follow Jesus and live his way. And that's what baptism does. It's that that transfer, that identity uh, change. Now, which portion of the vision statement is baptizing? Transformed by faith. Uh, when we baptize, we're transformed by faith. This is their identity. They have changed. They have been transformed. Uh, and so that, that baptism is kind of that identifier of, of that life that has been changed by faith. What's the third action? Teaching. Okay. You need to be teaching. Each one of us needs to be teaching. Uh, we need to be teaching. What do we teach? What does it say? What does Jesus say? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's in the Bible. Uh, all the things that he said, everything that, that he put forth in, in Scripture as, as the way we're to live and what we're to do and how we're to believe. Scripture, we need to be teaching. You have a responsibility as a believer to be teaching. Um, some of us have the gift of teaching, where it comes a little natural, a little more natural, a little easier. But all of us have that command to go make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. Uh, that's what we're to be about. Uh, equipping them with the content that they need, equipping them with the knowledge that they need, equipping them with the skills that they need to serve God and, and people. Uh, and so we're to be teaching to obey, teaching to do, teaching how to live uh, is what we're to be. Now, which portion of the vision statement is teaching them to obey? Growing in wisdom. There's only one left. Okay, they've been transformed by faith. They've been changed by faith. Now they need to grow. They need to grow in, in the wisdom of God, in the deeper things of God. Uh, so go make disciples. Make disciples How? Going, baptizing, teaching. That's the command. Now, I could end right there, and that's enough stuff for you to go work on (laughs) this week. We want to kind of unpack that a little bit more. Uh, I want to give you why we do evangelism. Why why is evangelism important? Why would Jesus say this to the 11? Of all the things he could say, why this? He didn't say, go pray. He didn't say, go worship. Worship. He didn't say, he said, make disciples. He said, as you are going, not as you are going pray, not as you are going worship, as you are going, make disciples. Why did he say that? Number one, Luke chapter 15, we're going to unpack that uh, in a little bit, so we won't read it right now, but it says, it's because lost people matter to God. God is concerned 
about lost people. You know, we think one of the great things about the faith is that God cares for us as believers, that he loves us, he cares for us, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Did you know that he has that same love for the lost, for the unbeliever? He cares just as much about them as he does us as believers. He, he lost people matter to God. Therefore, they ought to matter to us. We ought to be concerned when we come across an unbeliever, uh, an outsider, someone who's not of the faith. We should be concerned about them. Uh, number two, lost people who die physically will die eternally. Second Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols, okay, transformed. You turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Okay, we, we are, lost people matter to God because when they die physically, they will die spiritually, eternally. They're already dead spiritually, right? That's the problem. They, they need reborn. They need to be reawakened. They need to become re-alive spiritually. Uh, and evangelism brings that newness of life to an already dead soul and allows the Holy Spirit to do his work to re-energize that. Uh, and so we need to bring uh, the, the, the newness of life uh, to that lost soul uh, that is spiritually lost, spiritually gone. Uh, and Jesus needs to come in, the Holy Spirit needs to come in and do his work to regenerate that dead soul, that dead life that is there. Number three, God commands us to join him in his cause. Luke chapter five, he says, you know, I, you were fishing for fish, now I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Uh, Luke, or Acts chapter one, eight, that goes along with the great assumption, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The question is, will I be a good witness? Will, as I go, baptize and teach, will, will my life be one that draws people to, to Jesus? That, that will draw them uh, to the Savior? That, that will show them a spark of life that they don't have? Will my life be so drastically different that men are, are drawn to me because of Christ? Not me personally, but they're drawn to the Holy Spirit within me. Will I be a good witness for Christ? Now, what is it going to take to do that? What is it going to take? Luke chapter 15, this is the lost chapter. Okay, it talks about the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, which we oftentimes call the prodigal son, uh, the one who uh, decided he wanted his inheritance now, the father gave it to him, and off he went. Uh, five things that if we're going to fulfill the great assumption, if we're going to fulfill the great commission, five things that it's going to take from us. Number one, it's going to take risks. And this is usually where, where we falter. This is where we, we, we count the cost and, and a little too risky. Luke 15, verse 4 says, 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That's risk. The shepherd left the 99 that were safe in the pen and he left the 99 to go look for the one and to look in the open country. Now, open country meant danger. It wasn't going to be safe out there. He's risking his own life to go after that one. But lost people matter to God. And so we have to be willing to take that risk. What are some of the risks that we're going to take? What are some things that we will risk if we're going to be serious about evangelism? Rejection. That's probably the number one. That's probably the number one fear. We're going to be rejected. What else are we going to risk? I just want to say, but really, we're not being rejected. Right. Yeah, but it all—it sure feels like we are. <laughs> You're right. We're not being rejected. If we do it right, Jesus is being rejected. Now, sometimes they do reject you because you were just a jerk about it. Um, you know, we got to make sure that they are. Re- if they reject it, they're rejecting Jesus, not you, who just wasn't nice about it. Because <laughs> that happens as well. People are turned off by believers uh, who just didn't just didn't have it. Just weren't living it right. Uh, attack the wrong way. So we're going to risk rejection, ridicule, loss of friendship. There's a chance that they will just turn their back on you completely uh, with that. Physical assault. Uh, Not so much here do we see it, but definitely, I mean, in other parts of the world, and I'm not saying it can't happen here. Uh, It very well can. Um, our laws are just one that's a little more open to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's physical danger in doing it. So there's all kinds of risks. Uh, the risk, some of us are fearful that they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. You know what the correct answer to that question is? I don't know, but I will find out. And then you get on www.butlercac.org, hit contact, hit ask a pastor and ask that question. I will forward it to Bob and he will get you the answer. Uh, <laughs> that's our joke. In fact, we have had people using it. I'm very, I'm very encouraged by that. I've got one that came in Monday and I just haven't had time to answer it yet, but um, I will sit down tomorrow and answer it for this. This gentleman is a very good question. Um, so that is being used. But yeah, we're afraid that, you know, they're going to ask me something I don't know. I don't know enough. Sure you do. You know what Jesus has done for you, and you know that Jesus can do that for them. What more do you need to know? Uh, you know, and they may very well ask a question you don't know the answer to, and then the answer is, I don't know, let me find out. Let's meet again next week, and I'll bring you the answer uh, to that. So it's going to take risks on our part, and usually if, if we're not risk takers, uh, this is where we get tripped up. It's going to take time and resources. Uh, verse 8, it says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp? Okay, she's got ten silver coins. She lost one. She's going to spend oil to try to find that one. So she's going to take some of her resources that she has. Apparently the, the coin is worth more than the oil. So a lost soul is worth more than any resource you may have to expend to get it. It may cost you a lunch every once in a while. Uh, It may cost you uh, time 
definitely. Uh, you know, gifts, whatever it is to, to foster that relationship, to maintain that relationship, it's going to take time and it's going to take resources. I'm still convinced that relational uh, evangelism is the best, better than cold turkey. You know, there was a day when door-to-door worked. There was a day when you could go door-to-door and you didn't know the person, they didn't know you, but they would listen, usually out of just politeness. And sometimes you would hit a nerve with them and, and something would stick with them and they, they would want to know more. It doesn't work today. People are very private. They don't want you at their door unless you've been invited. Um, you know, even we've even had acquaintances, friends that, you know, we, we've learned they're not drop by people. You, you need to call and let them know, hey, what are you doing two nights from now? We'd love to get together. You know, we, we're just, we're drop by people. You know, we, we may just show up at your house uh, unannounced. And uh, we, we love that. We love when people just show up at our house unannounced. Knock first. Uh, don't just walk in. <laughs> Could scare you. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, it, it's going to take time to build that relationship to where you have earned the right to be heard. We're going to talk at the very end that, you know, our Today, even being heard is a risk and is going to take time uh, and resources just to be heard. So it's going to take risk, it's going to take time and resources. Uh, number three, it's going to take careful search. She lights, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And who are the lost people in your life? And not just lost people, but who are the lost people who seem to be ripe? They seem to be ready or something has happened in their life that, that boy, I, I need to jump on that. Most of Saxonburg had that last week. You know, when a 17-year-old who's loved by the entire community dies in a car accident, irregardless of the cause of the accident, people are ready to hear. And so we've got to be searching for who are those people? Who are those people in my web of influence who seem to be the most ready and we need to search for them. We, we need to, to, to know that relationship well enough that, that we know who they are and, and where they're at and what's going on in their life. Uh, I've always said, as a, from a pastor's standpoint, I've probably said it on, on Sunday nights, I'd much rather do a funeral than a wedding any day of the week. Give me a funeral over a wedding. Because in a wedding, they don't care what you say. In a funeral, they hang on every word. Because they're ready to hear. Something traumatic has happened in their life. They've lost and they're faced with their own immortality. And they want to know what the pastor has to say that will bring them hope. In a wedding, just say, I do, and get off the stage. Just, just get them to the point of, you may kiss the bride and let's go have a good celebration. We got to know who in our life is ready to hear. We have to search that out. We, we have to diligently look for those in our life that are ready. Number four takes patience. In the, the story of the prodigal son, after he came to the realization that, you know, he was eating what the pigs wouldn't eat, the leftovers from the pig trough, he, he said, you know what, it's got to be better back. If I just humble myself and go back to my dad, maybe he'll make me one of his servants and at least I'll get a, a decent meal and a place to sleep, if nothing else. And so it says in uh, verse 20, so he got up 
and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does this tell you about the father? He was looking for him because from a, a long way off, he recognized that it was his son. I don't know how long he'd been gone, but, but apparently the father was looking for him. No guarantee that he would come back, but no doubt day after day, when he would walk past the road that led to the house, he would give it a look and, and longing hope that, that his son would be coming back, that his son would come to his senses. And so we just have to be patient with people. We, we have to spend and invest a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of careful searching and just be patient. Because ultimately, whose job is it? To win them? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to work in their life. And we're just simply kind of a conduit to help make that happen. That's all it is. That's, that's all our responsibility. Plant water. You know, Paul said, or uh, yeah, Paul said some, you know, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So our responsibility is planting and watering, and that takes patience to let things grow, to let the Holy Spirit, Spirit do his work that only he can do. Uh, and, and, you know, the, I used to get upset. I don't get upset so much anymore when people say stuff like this, but, you know, I, I saved a person last night. No, you didn't. You know, I'd much rather I led a person to the Lord. I made an introduction and then the Holy Spirit took over. Um, but that, that whole, you know, I was able to save a person last night. No, you weren't. Bill. I was blessed to have the opportunity to be an instrument. Yes. You know, we're just tools. We, we're instruments, and, and we have to be willing to be used when the time is there. Fifth thing that it's going to take is it's going to take compassion. The father was filled with compassion for his son. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Before the son ever, the son may very well have been coming back for what? More money. He didn't know why the son was coming back. He may very well have been coming back for more money. He may have been sneaking back to steal something. He had no idea. He was just glad to see him. And he had compassion for him before he even knew what he was, what he was about. Why he was coming. And so we have to have that kind of a compassion for lost people. Uh, we have to be willing to take the risk, spend the time and resources, be patient, carefully search, know when those people are ripe, when they are ready to really hear the gospel. And you'll know, they'll ask questions. They'll start asking, they'll start initiating conversation and, uh, or things that go on in their life. And then we have to maintain a compassion for them uh, to, to love the lost. Any questions up to now with the... What's it, what it's going to take, the command, the great assumption. Well, let's talk about what the plan for evangelism is. And we call this eternal CPR. Um, eternal CPR. You know, when you're performing CPR on someone, their life is, is hanging in the balance. They've quit breathing. Uh, and you're performing CPR to try to get their heart back pumped. You're trying to bring them back from the brink of death. That, that's what we're doing with evangelism. It's, it's eternal CPR. Isaiah chapter 28 draws us an analogy of a farmer. It says, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and harrowing the soil? 
When he was, has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? I've never eaten spelt. Does anyone know what spelt is? is gluten-free. Well, there you go. It's on the gluten-free menu. Um, his God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Caraway is not threshed with a sledge, nor is a cartwheel, a cartwheel rolled over cumin. Caraway is beaten out with a rod and cumin with a stick. Grain must be round to make bread, so one does not go on threshing it forever. Though he drives the wheels of his threshing cart over it, his horses do not grind it. You see, there, there's a correct way. There's correct methods for, for all the various uh, people that we're going to come in contact with and different ways that, that we can reach them and, and different ways that we can, can harvest that uh, that seed that's been planted. So there are three things. CPR stands for three different words. The first one, the C stands for cultivate. Okay, we need to work the soil. You've got a friend, new neighbor, maybe it's someone you've grown up with, you've known them for years and years and years, maybe you've already been cultivating that soil, but we need to, to build credible relationships with people. Okay, with non-believers to allow for, for influence in their lives. That if I don't have credibility doesn't matter what I say. If my life is such that they, they, they see that, yeah, you go to church, but you're no different than me. Your life doesn't look any different. You don't act any different. You get mad at the same things I get mad at. You, you angry, you, you fight, you've, you know, you've basically, you're, you're no different than me. You just go to church on Sunday morning and I don't. We have to have a credibility. We have to cultivate those relationships. We have to, to break up that soil, that hardness. And we do that by spending time. That's the time, resources, patience, careful search. That, that we are, are building that relationship with them. That, that they can see that, one, we do have compassion. We care. That, that we have time for them. We'll help them out, whatever they need. Uh, that, that we will be there for them. That, that, that our life is credible to them so that when we share the gospel, they see that, yeah, you're, you live that. You live that. Second thing is we need to plant. It's not enough just to be a great friend. We need to be planting the seed. We need to be planting gospel. We need to be planting truth. So at some point in this relationship, as we've cultivated it and the relationship has gotten uh, a little deeper, uh, the soil is, is more ready to receive truth now that we need to introduce God's truth into our conversations to impact our friends. You know, we, we need to ask them, what do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think about? And it doesn't have to be spiritual things. Get them to talk in it. It all comes back around spiritual to bring God into a conversation. You know, we, you can take just about anything and bring God back into it. And so ask them what they think. Let them get to talking. They feel much more comfortable with that. But we need to be planting seed. We need to be planting truth into those conversations, uh, into that relationship. And then the third thing is reap. Reap. We need to boldly and confidently share God's good news with the lost and holding a believers accountable and love to walking as Jesus walked. We need to get them to the point to where we bring them to a decision. Yes, Jesus or no Jesus. Now, there's got to be a right time. Again, the Spirit's going to lead you 
as to when that time is right because you're praying for them. You're praying that they would, would open their hearts and their minds to it, that they would develop a hunger for truth, that they would hear truth. And as you're praying and you're building, you're cultivating that relationship and you're, you're in, in, uh, planting seeds of truth into those conversations and you're, you're speaking God's truth to them, there's going to come a point where they have to make a decision. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in that as you are praying. You'll know at where in that conversation that needs to happen. Uh, but they need to come to a point where they, yes or no, they make a decision uh, to follow. Now, what are we going to share? That's CPR. Cultivate, plant, reap. Think that as you are going, make disciples. Cultivate those relationships. Plant the seeds of truth. And then reap. Baptizing them teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, what is it that we're going to share? One, we have to be ready to share what man's problem is. What is man's problem? That's right, all have sinned. We're all in the same boat. I sinned, you sinned. We all have sinned. Romans 3.23, there is no difference. No difference between anybody. When we come to the foot of the cross, when we understand sinfulness, there's no degree of sin. It's just sin. We have all sinned. We all have that sin nature. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, again, the best translation to get the verb tense right, probably it should say, for all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. This is an ongoing problem, sin. It's not an instance of sin. It's not a one-time sin not, not one-time sin keeps us... One-time sin proves that there's a sin problem. Okay, the, the one-time sin is just evidence that there's something wrong inside, that there's that sin nature because we can continually... Something is driving it. We have a bad operating system, to put it in computer terms. That something within us is, is misfiring and we continually fall short, we continually sin. And what does sin do? separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates. Puts a chasm, uh, uh, the, the Lazarus and the rich young ruler. You know, when he died, there was that chasm. There's a separation between God and, and the sinner. Uh, that's why Adam and Eve had to be expelled from the garden because now in their sinful state, they could no longer live in the presence of God. They would have been utterly destroyed had they stayed in the Garden of Eden because that's what the holiness of God does to sin. It utterly destroys it. And so they had to be removed from that. God had to, to come up with a covering, a way to, to overcome that sin, the problem that existed. Number three, sin brings what? Death and judgment. Romans six twenty three: for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all have sinned and the, and the payday for sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And we cannot what? 
save ourselves. There's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. Titus 3, 5, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Not because of righteous things we had done. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough to overcome the sin problem. It's not a balance. You know, so long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm good, I'm in. That doesn't work. One sin guilty of them all. If you just break the law in one place, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. It's, it's, it's all encompassing. Um, so what is God's solution? Hebrews chapter 9, 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So there has to be a shedding of blood in order to have those sins forgiven. In the Old Testament, that was the whole sacrificial system. And it was pointing to the one sacrifice that would come for all. And that's Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God has offered forgiveness of sin through a shedding of blood, through a sacrifice that had to be made. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was sinless, died so that we might have those sins forgiven. Okay? And man's response what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Abraham believe? Other than God. Give me a little more than that. Abraham believed what? The, the promise of what God had. God promised him. Remember, this is in reference to when God was explaining to him what God was going to do for Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to bless you and your name will bless many. Out of you, will, you'll be a blessing. And, and Abraham was, I don't know whether he was waffling on that. God took him out and said, look at the stars. Count them. That will, your descendants will outnumber the stars. And at that point, Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. When God said, you go out, your descendants will be greater than the number of the stars. And Abraham said, I believe you. I believe the promise. And so when a person just simply says, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe the promise of forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice of, of Christ. Then their sins are forgiven. That's all that it takes. That's all man has to do is believe. And that is probably one of the hardest things for non-believers to accept. That all they have to do is believe. Bob, Pastor Bob was telling me a story uh, of, a, of a gentleman that he's been, that he has known for years and uh, not a believer, has been around church a lot uh, and Bob was explaining to him, came to the point of, of laying it out before him that he just needed to believe and the guy said, you know what, if you would tell me that I need to believe and then go do this if I had to believe and then go do this, I'd believe it. But to just believe, I can't believe that. I need, to, I need to believe and then go do something in order to be saved. Well, no, not even that. Just that he couldn't accept that, that forgiveness is just believing. Just believe that Jesus did it. And that's really, that's as simple as it is. That's what faith is. Believing that Jesus did it. And at that point, you were saved. 
And then all the changes come. Then, then the transformation and the growing in wisdom. And, and then, you know, the Holy Spirit begins to do things in your life and, and change you. Um, but we think that all those, some of those changes need to happen in order to be saved. No, they happen because you are saved as a result of salvation, uh, not a cause of or that brings it about. Um, so Abraham didn't have to do anything else. All he had to do was, was believe. Now, let me give you a couple illustrations. Let's say you get a person to a point, they're a visual person. These are a couple great illustrations. How many of you know the bridge illustration? Familiar with the bridge illustration? I see nodding heads and all good, then I don't have to spend a lot of time on it because um, I'm not that great of an artist. So, and this is a horrible pen. Here's the bridge illustration very simply. In the Garden of Eden, God, you know why I say God this way? Circle with a line through it. That's the Greek word or the Greek letter uh, that begins the word for God, theos. It's the T-H so that's God on his throne. Here's Adam and Eve. Which one's Adam? Which one's Eve? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Told you I wasn't very good. Um, and what we read in Romans 3.23 is what? All have sinned. Everyone's sinned. Adam and Eve and everyone after them has sinned. And what, what does that result in? Sin separates us from God. So now there's this, this giant chasm between us and God. Okay? And sin brings death and judgment. There's absolutely no way to get to, to God through that. Uh, we, we can't get anything. What are some ways in which we try? What are some things, some, some works that we come up with? Church. You know what? If I just go to church, it still comes up short. What's another thing I do? If I what? Actually, that works. <laughs> what, is the, what are things that I try to do? Good deeds. I try to be good. That might get us a little farther than church, but still come up short. Serving others. Serving others. You know what? I'm going to volunteer my time. Not just be good to people. I'm going to volunteer my time. I'm going to give of myself for other people. Still comes up short. Hmm? I'm going to give money. I am a philanthropist. Still going to come up short. Can't give enough. So there's no solution. Anything that man has ever tried comes up short. And so God has the solution. Through Christ. That Christ was willing to be that sacrifice that bridges that gap. Um, and, and, you know, it is simply by faith that we are then able to come over. Nothing that I've done. I had absolutely no part of this whatsoever. Nothing that I did. God made the way. All I have to do is believe that that bridge is there and I can come to God. And it is simple belief. Now, we were, most of us are familiar with that one. There's another one that I like that doesn't require near the artistry. That's why I like it. Okay? What happened to all these? 
There we go. Um, you're not going to be able to see that. I'll go back to black. Not that black. We'll try this one. All right, here we go. Okay? This is holiness. Or perfection. This is a scale of perfection. This is unholiness. Where is God? On this scale, where's God? All the way at the top. God's up here. Okay? Actually, God is the scale. He's the standard. Remember we talked about that. God is the standard for everything else. Where is Satan? Satan's down here. He really is kind of the standard of everything bad and evil and unholy, the opposite of God. Now, where is Mother Teresa? And this is what you do with a person. Draw this out, okay? And ask them, where's God? Where would you put Satan on this scale of holiness, of perfection? And this really is God's standard. No one gets to heaven unless they're perfect, okay? You, you have to be perfect to get into heaven. So where's Mother Teresa on this scale? Here? Is that good? Higher? Lower? This is kind of like the price is right. Tell me when I get to the... <laughs> we'll put her up here. I don't know how to spell it. There's an H in there. Um, Mother Teresa. Where's Billy Graham? Yeah, but you're asking a non-believer who doesn't, you're, you're, from an unbeliever's perspective, where's Billy Graham? He's probably pretty close to Mother Teresa. Where's Adolf Hitler? Where's Osama? Bin Laden. Is he below Adolf? And you know, if I, and you're talking to your friend in this, just conversationally, if I had to put myself on this scale, I'm probably not as good as Billy Graham, but I'm, I'm better than Hitler. So I'm going to put myself right here. And you know what you do next? Hand them the pen. Where would you put yourself? Where do you fall on this goodness, holiness, perfect scale? Now, most of them will put them right below you. Because none of them are brave enough to say they're better than you. Okay, so most of them are going to put their, you know, they're going to say they're right here. And then you go back to, none of us are here. But if God demands perfection and holiness, you know, I've got a gap here. What am I going to do with all this imperfection? What are you going to do with all that imperfection? And that's when you just, you open it up that God has made a way, that God reaches down 
through the cross, and that cross will go as far as it needs to go to reach anyone. And, and, and they begin to see in picture form. They begin to see that, you know, they do fall short, that good isn't good enough. This is really a great illustration for someone who just thinks, well, I'm going to be good enough. I, I hope, you know, my good's going to outweigh my bad. And you can show them it doesn't matter. You know, you're still going to be short. And, and God has made the way for that. There's another one. If you get a friend who believes Scripture, or at least will give Scripture some credit, okay, which is still possible today, although it's becoming less likely, uh, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. There's called the Romans Road. How many of you are familiar with the Romans Road? You've heard that before. I, I forgot to put it in here, so just write it down somewhere. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different passages, seven different scriptures. Um, so give yourself some room to write seven of them in, in order. And you can just take your friend right through this order, and it is a an incredible gospel presentation. Romans Tonight when you get home, look through those. And, and here's what I suggest you do. In your Bible, memorize the first one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. If you remember the first one, then in your margin next to Romans 3.23, write 6.23. So you know that's the next one you need to go to. And then at 6.23, write 5.8. So you know to go back to 5.8. And just in the margin, write the next one. And then you only have to remember one. You don't have to remember them all. Right, and then you, you, you know which direction you need to go. Now, let me give you, and this is why I saved Romans Road till the end. We live in a day that Scripture no longer carries the weight that it used to. We used to be able to just talk about sin with a person and, and man's problem of sin, and, and that was good enough. That, that got people going. We live in a world now that we have to back up and prove that there's God. Because now we don't, it's not that we doubt the existence of sin, we doubt the existence of God. And so our evangelism, when we begin to share, uh, really we need, we need to back that up and show that, that God exists and get them to talking about who God is and their understanding of God uh, before any of this matters. Because they may even say that God, you know, where's Jesus Christ? Well, I believe he probably had some sin. He had to have done something, a little thought here or there that wasn't quite right. You know, they, that's where we are today. Those, that's the mindset of, of the unbeliever uh, in many ways. And so I've given you some things to think about with uh, today's postmodern unbeliever. Uh, postmodern, really some of the, I give you just five things that, that will come up 
and in no way am I expecting to, to explain them all or to understand, but just to think about, and maybe in your own study, uh, begin to look at. Postmodernism, the world we live in today, the main thought of today is that there is no ultimate reality. Nothing is real unless it's real to me. Unless I say it's real, then it's real. And so there, there's nothing real. Okay, so, so I can't come up and say that, you know, we have all sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. Well, sin's not real. God's not even real. And so we, we got to back it up. And we've got we've to come at it uh, from a totally different way. Uh, the second thing is truth or reality is subjectively constructed by human thought. Otherwise, I determine what's true for me. You determine what's true for you. I determine what's real for me. You determine what's real for you. So if I say it's not real, then it's not real. There is no God. He's not real. How do you know that? Well, I've, I've determined that. And so, and so we, we, you know, we, we really would, today it's tough to use the scripture because if God's not real, the scripture's not real, definitely. It's just a good book, got some good ideas in it. Maybe, if I think they're good. Okay. Number three, belief in cultural relativism. That basically says that each individual culture determines what is right and wrong. This is where we get the word tolerance misused today. That if one culture says it's okay to beat children to the point of death, if one occasionally dies, that's okay. Another culture can't come in and say they were wrong. We have to tolerate that other culture. We have to be tolerant of that culture. And so culture determines right from wrong. There is no absolute standard of right from wrong. That's the world we live in. And you see that all around. You know, it's okay for you, but not okay for me. You know, well, each, and that's nothing new. Each one did what was right in his own eyes. That's Old Testament. Um, so that thinking has been around. They're, they're much more interested in emotions and intuition. Emotions and how they feel. Now, this is scary because a lot of Christians operate this way too. We operate on our feelings rather than what we know. We operate on our emotions rather than what we know uh, rather than on the truth. And so we have to operate on truth uh, and that there is absolute truth, but they will believe that there is not. There is no absolutes. There is no definite right and wrong to life. Politically, they're moved by social justice. This is a big thing today. Even within the church, this is a big thing. Um, <clears throat> they look for who is overlooked, who is neglected, and they seek to alleviate their suffering. Um, but I say suffering's not real because nothing's real. Yet they've determined those people are suffering. They have pain and suffering, and they must work to alleviate it. See, what, what's the problem with all of this type of thinking? Circle. That's right. It's circular thinking. It doesn't work. It, eventually, it always breaks down. So when you're talking with the postmodern who says, I don't believe the Bible, I don't believe that God exists, then ask questions. What do you believe? And try to get that to play out in real life because it doesn't. It eventually will break down. And then you say, yeah, and then what? And then what? And then what? 
And then they get confused because they don't have an answer because it's not real. It's not truth. Ask them if they're real. And they'll, you know, they may say no, you know. They, nothing is real. That's the, the beauty of it. My favorite is there are no absolutes. Are you sure? Absolutely. The fact that they say that statement in and of itself is an absolute. There, there are no absolutes. That's an absolute. And if that is an absolute, then there are absolutes. What other absolutes might there be? So they, they talk in circles and they go nowhere. And so you just, if you find, get a person like that, that has already written God off, written the Bible off, written reality off, then you just need to, to dive into where that's where the patience, compassion, time, resources to work with them and, and help them sort out what is true, what is, what is reality uh, with them. How to pray for lost friends. Because everyone can be found. No one is outside the reach of God. Okay, even Osama bin Laden was one revelation away from being the greatest missionary force since the Apostle Paul. Paul went around killing Christians. He hated, the, he hated Christians. He ran into their house, drug them out, beat them to death. He did all those things till God met him. And on the Damascus Road, made him blind so that he could see. And anyone is just one act of the Holy Spirit away from being a believer. So how do we pray for them? Pray that they become hungry for Christ, hungry for truth. That, that the people would be able to, you know, get a, get a, get a hunger for spiritual things. Secondly, that to God to remove the barriers from them responding. That, that God would begin to break down those walls. Those walls of bad thinking, uh, the walls of, of uh, you know, where Satan has blinded their eyes, to, to pull those blinders off to where they can be reached, to where they begin to see the reality. That God blesses, that God's blessing on their life. Pray that God would bless their life and that they would, he would make it known that it's God that's blessing them, that he's the one responsible for it, that there's no other explanation. Just do a miracle in their life. Do something that only God could do, that they couldn't explain any other way. And you then begin looking for that thing so that you can help them see that it was God who did it in that. And the last thing, Holy Spirit, to make Jesus real to them. Jesus needs, just needs to be real. In a world where nothing is real, the Holy Spirit needs to come in incognito, however he chooses, and makes Jesus real to them. So those are four great things to just be praying for your unbelieving friends because we are called to what? What's our command? Make disciples. And how do we do it? As you are going, baptizing, teaching them to obey. As you are going. So lifestyle. So here's the other thing you got to do. I need you to come up with a list. This is just between you and God and maybe your spouse. You don't have to share it with them if you don't want to. Four names that you're going to be praying these four things for them. 
you have a relationship with them. Okay, you've already been cultivating the, the ground. Now you're going to be praying for ways to plant and to reap in those four people's life. And you're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do it every day, daily. Tack it wherever you need to tack it. Write those four names down. And if they come over to your house and you've got it, you know, on a post-it note and their name's on a post-it note on your mirror in the bathroom and they come over to your house and they use your restroom, they use your bathroom and they come out and say, hey, why is my name on your mirror? Because I'm praying that God blesses your life. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, and, and that's one way to open up that door. Uh, so those four friends, your four friends that you're going to pray for every day to gain a hunger for Christ, for God to remove the barriers, for God to make Jesus real and just God bless them in their life some way that only he could do. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we are not up to the command to make disciples. Father, sometimes we struggle in our own faith. So, Lord, I pray that as we are growing in wisdom, Father, that, that the faith that has transformed us, that has changed us, would be evident to the people around us. Father, lead us to just those four people. Give us four names, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, that we can begin to cultivate or we can continue to cultivate. Father, that, that, that you want us, that you want to use us to reach. We know that ultimately the work is yours, the glory is yours. Father, because you've already done everything to even make salvation possible through your son, Jesus Christ. So Father, use us, little ways, big ways, that we might see a harvest, that, that we might see a, a reaping of lives, that, that souls would be transformed. We give you the glory for what you're going to do in this next year in transforming this church, this community, the lives of individuals. We just thank you that we're a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you back next week. Have a great week.